G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Um, Monday Monday morning, Jesus, my head's all over the place, <laughs> Saturday morning edition coming at you. Happy Easter, or as some would say, Hoppy Easter. Uh, this is a basketball themed potty. I said that I was thinking about doing it on Friday, but didn't exactly come to fruition. I had a lot of uh, fantasy tidbits to sort out before Good Friday. I won't be talking tons about AFL fantasy, but I want to dive into a lot of the major awards in the NBA. There's probably a couple of games left in the regular season. I think from memory, Tuesday is the last day of games in the regular season. Most teams only have two, three, one game remaining for their regular season. So I don't think a lot of this is dramatically going to change. So whether you listen to it today or you listen to it on your drive home on Easter Monday, wherever it may be, a lot of these awards are going to stand up and nothing's really going to change in my voting. I'm not going to unpack the MVP too much, but I will go through all the other major awards, make some picks for the All-NBA teams and so on with a little bit of a teaser towards the playoffs that commence in about a week's time. So let's dive into today's episode. Like I said, the MVP race is really a three-horsed competition at the moment. You've got Embiid, you got Jokic, and you got Giannis. And I'm still trying to really sort out my order and take the entire season's body of work into account because there's a lot of love for Embiid lately, especially after his 50-point game against Boston earlier in the week. But, you know, that's there's five games to go. I'm probably not going to have as much waiting on that game as another matchup throughout the regular season, but I'm also not going to just let one game dictate who I think will win the MVP. So I'm going to do another separate podcast and a big article kind of unpacking who I think will win that. Man, I've been chopping and changing between Embiid, Giannis and Jokic over the last week. So that'll be a very interesting award and a race and to see who gets the final nod, et cetera, et cetera. But like I said, today I'm going to cover all the other awards. So let's start with the defensive player of the year. For me, Brooke Lopez deserves a lot of credit in this discussion, but I'm giving the nod to Triple J. Jaron Jackson Jr. He's the league leader in blocks per game. If you look at total blocks, he's only a couple behind Brooke Lopez despite playing 16 fewer games. And I think that he's really shone and he shone offensively as well when Ja Morant went out. Jaron Jackson Jr. is arguably the best defender in the game. I don't think that that's a major statement to make. He's a wrecking ball. He hasn't really rebounded the ball the way that you would think a traditional power forward or big man, small ball center would, but I don't think you need to dive too much into the rebounding numbers when you start to look at defensive player of the year. At the moment, he's averaging a steal and three blocks a game. The only closest player to that is Anthony Davis, averages wise. Embiid is another one in the one-on-one category. You could probably throw Nick's clacks and some love. He's had a great breakout season for the Nets, but I think Jaron Jackson Jr. deserves this award. Brooke Lopez and someone like Bam Adebayo will both probably get some votes. And when I had a little bit of a look at the defensive win shares, there are a lot of Grizzlies players on the list. There's a lot of Bucks and there's a lot of Cavaliers. And I think the Cavaliers big men in Jared Allen and Evan Mobley help fuel some of those defensive win shares. And you could say the same about Brooke Lopez with the Bucks and obviously Giannis and Jaron Jackson Jr. with the Grizzlies. D'Anthony, uh, D'Anthony Melton. Uh, Desmond Bain is actually a pretty good defender himself and leads the league in defensive win shares at the moment. But again, part of that is because he's been feeding off the man in the paint that is Triple J. So he gets my nod for Defensive Player of the Year. I think that's a pretty easy one. I can see why some people might vote for Brooke and I'm not really going to lose any sleep over someone picking the Bucks big man 
over Jaron Jackson Jr. Coach of the year is another easy one if you ask me. It's Mike Brown and then Daylight. He's the only one that should be in line to win this award. And you could maybe give, I've had a bit of a look through the betting odds and the standings, probably give an honourable mention to Mark Dagnall for what he's done with OKC. I think all of us expected them to be squarely in the mix for Webb and Yama, but essentially if they win their next game, which I think is against the aforementioned Grizzlies, then the OKC Thunder are in the play-in, which is a huge accomplishment for them, knocking out the Mavericks as well. Yucky, poor Dallas. But I think the job that Mike Brown has done with the Kings is pretty fucking unbelievable. At the moment, they're 48 and 32. Last season, they only won 30 total games. So an 18-game improvement. They won their first Pacific Division title since the early 2000s. Obviously, an 18-win improvement, and they are now pretty much locked into the three seed. I can't see them changing dramatically over the last couple of games of the regular season. Like I said, Dagnalt deserves credit. You could maybe give a shout-out to Budenholzer as well for leading the Bucks to the best record in the entire NBA at the moment. But I do think that Mike Brown is the easy runaway winner here. Shout-out to the Sacramento Kings. I'll be very intrigued to see how they go in the postseason. If the playoff seedings matched up the way they were right now, then they would be playing the Golden State Warriors, which would be an interesting series. But the Lakers are just a game behind them in the seven seed at the moment. So maybe they'll end up playing an LA team. Be very intriguing to watch when the postseason does roll around. The rookie of the year race, Jalen Williams definitely made a run for it with his second half of the season. And you could say that Benedict Matherin was really good in the early portion of the year as well. But this is only a Paolo Bencaro award. I think that he's done enough over the entire 82-game slate and really helped improve the Orlando Magic, another team that we thought would be shit kickers. And look, they're only going to win roughly 35 games on the year, but at least they have a little bit of optimism and hope going into the next portion of their franchise's tenure. They've got some young, nice dudes that you can build around, and there's a lot to like from an Orlando Magic standpoint. But I think it's fair to say that Paolo Bencaro will be their number one guy moving forward. Franz Wagner is a great piece, and there's other guys. It's great to see Markel Fultz healthy and dominating as well. And again, like I said, J-Dub deserves credit for what he did with the Thunder, really established himself as a running mate next to SGA, had some pretty solid numbers in that post-All-Star stretch. And Benedict Matherin was scoring 20-plus pretty regularly for the first 30 or so games of his season. But over the entire regular season, I think the deserving winner is Paolo Banquero. It's not often a number one pick lives up to the hype and delivers on the expectation that a lot of fans have had, but I'm sure I speak on behalf of the Magic when I say that they'll be excited to see what Bancaro can do into the future. The most improved award, this is a little bit of a coin toss. I think it's tight between Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Laurie Markkinen. So SGA obviously was a fringe all-star rolling into this season. He averaged about 24 points in his last season, again, on a shitty somewhat Thunder team and in limited games because they had the... Uh, fantastic trait of just shutting players down. He only played 56 games a season ago, 35 the year before that. And granted, this year he's only going to feature in about high 60s, but SGA definitely deserves credit and mention in this award race. He's jumped up to 31 points a game per scoring, and I think he's going to get some All-NBA first-team votes, maybe even appear in a couple of MVP ballots as well, or the fifth seed. So he definitely deserves some recognition. But you can't really go past the way that Laurie Markkinen has burst onto the scene with the Utah Jazz. He didn't really have a lot of bright moments when he was with the Chicago Bulls, was obviously drafted by Chicago, spent a couple of seasons there, and then landed in Cleveland to play for the Cavs in 2021-22. And he's 
he averaged 18 points in his second year with Chicago. So the signs were there, but he's a 15 point per game scorer before he joined Utah. And this season he's now averaging eight boards, nearly two assists, half a steal and a block a game, shooting 50% from the field, 39% from three and 25 points a game, helping set up the Utah Jazz into the future as well. I thought when he landed there, he could have potentially been another trade piece that they moved on as they tried to tank. But obviously Utah surprised everyone in the first half, two thirds of the season by winning more games than we expected. And Laurie Markkinen was the best player on the team. Mike Conley was there for a bit, helping run the show. And we've seen bright moments from people like Talon Horton Tucker, uh, Talon Horton Tucker rather. Uh, I do like Ochi Abaji. Walker Kessler has been great in the paint for them. And there's a couple of other dudes that deserve some mention, some that are no longer on the team, but Laurie Markkinen has been the catalyst for a lot of their success this year. And the Utah Jazz are obviously now out of the playoff picture, but they still won 36 games on the year so far. That number might even get up to 38 by the time the regular season is in the books. And a big part of their success has been partially due to their head coach in, oh, what's the dude's name? I'm blanking now, ex-Boston assistant. It'll come to me. But regardless, I think that Danny Ainge has structured a pretty good roster around Markinen and the other young pieces. Will Hardy, that's his name. I was close. Um, but yeah, Will Hardy's been great in his first year as the Utah Jazz coach. If they had have kind of done what the Thunder did and pushed up into the play and mix, then he might have deserved some coach of the year buzz. But from the most improved standpoint, I think you've got to go with Laurie Markinen just slightly ahead of SGA. Sixth man of the year, Emmanuel quickly gets my nod here. And it was a tight race about 30 games or so ago. Malcolm Brogdon definitely deserves some credit and was probably the favorite for the award. I have a soft spot for Norman Powell as well. He's been scoring the ball really consistently off the bench for the Clippers and probably hasn't got the respect that he deserves in this race. So he may finish in the top three or so, but... Emmanuel quickly, like I said, I think he is the easy pick here, if you ask me. There's a couple of other guys who spent big chunks of the games coming off the bench, but there's very few like quickly that have stepped in and scored the ball the way that others have come off the bench. And kind of gives me a little bit of Lou Williams vibes, but with a bit more offense. Granted, he's only averaging 14 and a half points a game. But when you dig into the success that the Knicks have had this year, locked into the fifth seed, part of that is Julius Randle refining his mojo, but Post All-Star break, Emmanuel quickly is averaging 20 points a game in 20-ish games. He started a couple of them, and he actually has 19 starts for the season. But I don't think that that should detract from him being a star off the bench. He's probably on track to play in every Knicks game, I think, mathematically. He's played 79 games, so I'm not entirely sure if the Knicks have three or so left. But regardless, he's done a consistent job for the entire season. Started a little bit slow. He only averaged nine points in November for what it's worth. But yeah, post All-Star break, he's really excelled in that role. And I think that he deserves a lot of the votes and will get a lot of the votes. Malcolm Brogdon will probably be the runner-up. I know that the Boston Celtics were pretty stoked to get him 15 points and call it four and four off the bench. Great leader, hasn't started a single game. So he is a quintessential sixth man. He's going to play somewhat in the high 60s, low 70s number of games. And again, I can see why people would side with him or a Norm Powell or I'm kind of blanking at the rest of the field. Cause when it comes to the six man, it, it usually just translates to who's scored the most off the bench, which I get. And I can see why a lot of people would just deviate to simplifying their six man criteria and just voting that way. But quickly, regardless of if people are scoring less or more than him, I think he's had the best impact 
off the bench. Bobby Portis is another dude. Now I'm just looking through a couple of other random names. Malik Monk might deserve mention in the conversation, but if you ask me, IQ should win this award and probably will pretty handsomely. This was tough to do, and I, I'm not going to go through your all defense or your all rookie teams, but I am going to do my all NBA team picks. So let's start with the first team. I think the forwards are pretty easy to lock in. I've got Tatum and Giannis, and then I've got Joel Embiid currently. That could switch a little bit with Jokic, but again, I think you're really picking between straws when it comes to Embiid or Jokic. Part of the reason that I've sided with Embiid, and I might side with him when it comes to the MVP, is his two-way dominance on the court. And they actually have an identical record right now with the Nuggets after the Nuggets have kind of slipped a little bit in recent times. So I just gave Embiid the nod on the first team, but spoiler alert, Jokic will be the starting center on the second team. The guard spots are a little bit trickier to lock down. As I mentioned, SGA will get a lot of votes for this first team. And I've given him one of my guard spots in the first team. And I gave the other one to Luca, who's drawn a bit of negativity lately after the Mavericks have started to slide, but he's still a first teamer. He's still putting up ridiculous individual stats, even if his team hasn't quite got their mojo together. And they're only a couple of games below 500. It's not like they've won 30 games and they've been a complete train wreck the entire year. There was a period of time where Luca was squarely in the mix for the MVP award as well. And then his team's record probably hurt his candidacy more than anything else. But I went Luca, SGA, Tatum, Giannis, and Embiid in the first team. Going to the second squad, like I said, Jokic is my center. And you really can talk me into flopping and changing them the other way around. But the forward spots as you kind of go out of the first team do come down to a little bit of personal preference. And I'll be interested to see how the actual ballots and the teams do unfold. I think Jalen Brown is going to be a pretty safe bet to be a second all-team forward at this rate. He's played a couple more minutes at forward than he has at guard, and I know he's eligible at guard and forward, so he's probably going to make his way onto a second, maybe a third team at worst, regardless of which position people are putting him in. But I've got him in my forward spot, and I gave the second one to LeBron James. There wasn't a lot of candidates that really stood out in the forward area, And I know that LeBron's only played 53 games at the moment, but the dude is 38. It's worth pointing out. He's averaging 29 points a game, which is currently the ninth best scoring margin in the entire NBA. And I haven't exactly had a world-beating record with him in uniform, but it's no secret to say that the Lakers are better with LBJ in their team. So I know that there's going to be the cutoff for 65 games for a lot of the major awards. But when I come to boiling down a little of the spots in the third team, I'll talk about the why the games played really don't matter a shitload, especially this year when we haven't really taken it into account when picking the teams because it's not a rule yet, but something to consider moving forward. But for now, even though he hasn't met the quote-unquote games threshold, I sided with LeBron. In the guard spots, again, a little bit of uh, interest around who's going to fill these out, but Damian Lillard, I think you could make a case to put him in over Luka in the first team. He's had his best individual career. It's not his fault that the Portland Trailblazers have been eliminated from the postseason. He did have a couple of injury issues that held him out of some contests. He's only going to play 58 games on the year, but the third best scorer in the NBA, there was a period of time where he was averaging close to 36, 37 points a game for about a month, if not longer. He had a 71-point game this year, and so did his backcourt mate in the second team in Donovan Mitchell. Maybe it's a little bit of my Cavs personal bias, but... Mitchell landing in Cleveland really has transformed this franchise from an up-and-coming contender with a lot of future promise to a team that could shock some playoff squads and make a run towards an East Finals appearance. Even if they don't do it this year, I think you can't take away 
from what Donny did. He's a top 10 scorer. He's going to feature in about 70 games for the Cavs. And he has been the stir, the straw that has stirred the drink for Cleveland and their success the entire year. So I went with Dame, Donny, LeBron James, Jalen Brown, and Nikola Jokic in the second team. The third one, this is where it gets a little bit confusing. So I'm going to start at the guards and work my way back. I did have Ja Morant kind of penciled in. But after his little fuckwithery and the fact that he's missed a couple of games, he's going to play in 60 games, which I think is enough to warrant a spot on this team. And let's be honest, he's probably going to get in. But these are my All-NBA team. So my votes go to De'Aaron Fox and Jalen Brunson, two dudes that have taken their games to the next level. Brunson probably should have been an All-Star looking back at it. And De'Aaron Fox, deservingly so as well. I think that both the Kings and the Knicks have really... They haven't exactly elevated themselves into contender status, but they've definitely improved from last season. And a huge reason why they improved is because of the play of their two lead guards. Brunson in particular has impressed me. I shat on his contract a little bit in the off season and he's really proved to the world and to all the haters out there that he is an all-star caliber guy and a player that can lead a team towards success. This helps if he's got a couple of running mates like Julius Randall, who may or may not be mentioned very soon, but De'Aaron Fox on the other side of the bracket also deserves mention. So those two took my guard spots. Steph Curry missed out. He has obviously a pretty good resume, and I think that that dude is pretty good at basketball. 54 games he's played in on the year. There are only two games above 500 when he does play, and even though he's been putting up close to 30 points a game and had a great individual year, I think that I'm just going to side with Fox and Brunson. It'll probably be Steph and Ja Morant when the actual teams do get announced, but my one has those two. Now, Again, the forward spots are very murky. I gave one of them to Julius Randle because I think him riding his wrongs from a year ago and really stepping up and becoming that player that made an all-NBA team back in 2021, I think that that deserves plenty of credit. So he took one of the spots out and I was very close to siding with Jimmy Butler, but he and the Miami Heat haven't exactly wowed me or done enough to jump off the page. The Heat at the moment are still in the play-in mix. They're not going to make the actual play-offs unless they win, which, well, they will, but you know what I mean. They haven't established themselves as a top-six team out east, so that hurts Butler a little bit in my eyes. And I really wanted to try and find someone to give it to over the bloke I'm about to mention, but the way that he wins and his individual numbers left with no choice because Kevin Durant has only appeared in 47 games, but his teams have won 34 of those games currently. Another dude that's right on the cusp of averaging 30 points a game. He's a bona fide winner, a pure bucket, arguably the greatest pure scorer in the league currently, maybe all time, let's be honest. So I just sided with Kevin Durant over Jimmy Butler. A couple of other forwards you could maybe mention, like Kawhi Leonard, uh, Devin Booker, probably more of a guard pick, but I digress. Durant and Randall get the two forward spots. And then, DeMontis Sabonis, he and De'Aaron Fox have really been the stars of the show in Sacto. And I can see Sabonis making the team and Fox not. That's a very likely and probable outcome. But Sabonis, I think, is a lock for a third-team All-NBA centre. Bam Adebayo is really the only other one that, as I was looking at it, you could maybe make the case for. I know that Evan Mobley and Jared Allen fans out there might be stomping up and down. But really, it's been those three Jokic and Bede, and then a little bit of Daylight and Sabonis in my eyes. Anthony Davis, if you had played a few more games, maybe you could put him in as a center pick. Carl Anthony Towns hasn't done enough. I'm just now having a bit of a look through some of the other contenders. There's really no one else that I think deserves the props and the recognition for what they've done this season compared to Sabonis, who's 
averaging a pretty ridiculous 19, 12, and 7, and then nearly a steal a game and half a block. So he has definitely helped that Sacramento team experience the success that they have this season. He's been one of the main stars of the show, for lack of a better term. And I think that you need to reward these guys who, and that's why we have three teams, right? Like I'm not saying he's a second or a first teamer, but Sabonis, Fox, Brunson, Randall, all these guys deserve respect and recognition for what they've done. You could quite easily give some of these picks to Morant, Curry, Booker, Kawhi, like I've mentioned, but I think depending on a little bit of what you weigh more individually, whether it's the individual brilliance or it's driving towards team success, I kind of rank the second one a bit higher. So Morant and Curry, Booker, they've all got greater individual numbers, but all missed chunks of the season that'll hurt their candidacy. So I'd love to see the third team pan out as Fox, Brunson, Durant, Randall and Sabonis, but I don't think it'll exactly be that black and white. And I'll be interested to see what the differences are from the actual All-NBA teams compared to my teams when the awards drop, probably within the next couple of weeks. One little nugget, pun intended, I want to talk about is the recent record of Denver because they've been shat on quite a bit recently. Actually, more Nikola Jokic and his MVP stance because a lot of people have kind of said that he's taken some games off, he's slacked off. They haven't exactly excelled in the last month playing basketball, but that's why they won so many games early is they've now put themselves in a position where they can probably lock in and focus on being healthy over the last month and rolling into the playoffs with a full roster for lack of a better term. They were 46 and 19 about a month ago. And right now they're 52 and 28. So when I went to school, that is a six and nine record in the last 15 games, not ideal, but some of these games, you have a look, they were missing Jokic and Murray in some of them. There was the last game that they played against Phoenix that a lot of people were getting down on them for. They had Bruce Brown and DeAndre Jordan fucking running the show. So I'm not going to jump up and down and have a look too much into their successes against Utah and Sacramento to close out the year. But it was interesting after their loss to the Rockets when they did have the big dogs playing that uh, Mike Malone came out and called him soft, said that if they play like this, they're just going to be bounced early in the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. Might be a way for him to try and fire up Denver. And I think they're a team that arguably has the most to play for this season. They cruised to a one seed pretty much the entire year. They're still only a game and a half up from Memphis. So crazier things have happened. They could still lose the one seed. It's probably not going to happen, I think based on the head-to-head and the tiebreakers, et cetera, they have clinched one throughout. But if they go into, let's say they make the finals and they have to play the Bucks or the Celtics and the probability of playing a game five on the road locked at 2-2, it'd be very telling for the Denver Nuggets if they had this rough stretch. They could have potentially avoided and maybe had home court advantage against any foe throughout the playoffs. Some people are worried about them matching up with Phoenix in a potential second rounder, the one versus the four seed. There's the Lakers, obviously, that depending on where they fall in the play-in race could get matched up against Denver in round one, which would be a scary prospect for Nuggets fans. So while I'm not going to give a lot of weight to the last month of basketball or so, I will be very, very interested to see how they start the playoffs and if they can find that mojo and roll consistently towards what we all believe is a championship caliber team, even if you don't, I think that you're kidding yourselves. I think the Nuggets might not be the favorites in the West because there's a lot of teams out there that can make some noise. I think, as I've mentioned on the last pod, some people are probably sleeping a bit on the Lakers. They're a bit more of a threat in my eyes than some may suspect. And then obviously the Phoenix Suns, if they're healthy, can cause some damage as well. Memphis Grizzlies, they're missing Steven Adams. But again, another team that's capable of doing some shit. 
Clippers, health-wise, similar thing could be said. The Golden State Warriors are obviously the reigning champions, but still 9-30 and 30 on the road, so that does concern me. Uh, casting my eyes just briefly over the East playoff picture. I don't think that we're going to get anything different from Philly and Brooklyn and Cleveland and New York Knicks in round one. The Miami Heat, it'll be very interesting to see whether they match up against Boston or Milwaukee. I think that both of those teams will take care of business. And then I expect the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, I do expect the Atlanta Hawks to be the second team that gets out of the play-in tournament. So we could be looking at Bucks, Hawks, Celtics, Heat, Sixers, Nets, and Cavs, Knicks, which is interesting, but if I quickly transition back to the Western Conference, we may have, if the season ended the way that the standings are, Nuggets, Pels, Grizzlies, Lakers, Kings, Warriors, Suns, Clippers. That's a much more tantalizing playoff picture. Still a little bit of seeding stuff to play out though, but yeah, I'll be very interested just to see exactly what type of teams we get to start some of these matchups. And of course, the playing game creates a little bit of opportunity for some of those teams in the nine or the 10 spot to cause an upset. Maybe we see the Thunder or the Timberwolves crack a playoff berth similar could be said for the Raptors or Bulls you never know that's why this tournament or this play-in bracket was introduced and I don't know about you but I am very ready for some playoff basketball that's all the basketball stuff I've got for you uh, just quickly for the AFL fantasy enthusiasts who've sat through this entire podcast I'm turning James Warple into Tom Stewart this week and I'm very excited about it i uh, be very intrigued to see the new DPPs that come out in a couple of weeks. And I'm actually just starting to stockpile some cash so that I've got options to swing some magnets and players around. But hopefully we get some great playoff or play-in basketball. The next time you listen to this, we'll probably have the regular season in the books and we'll know what the field is going to look like. Regardless, I think that uh, I've given you enough information about who's going to be some of the heavy hitters. And from a fantasy slash AFL standpoint, I would have loved another game last night on Good Friday but I can see why they left that window open. It is a bit of a shame though, that they haven't been smart enough to put different games on throughout the Sunday period. And that means that we've got two games on Saturday commencing at the same time. So not going to complain about having footy on for five days consecutively, but it would have been smart if Gil and the boys uh, put their thinking hats on and made sure there were no games starting at the same time. So thank you for tuning into this podcast. Hope you enjoyed a little bit of hoops edition. Uh, I'll be back early in the week to wrap up some AFL fantasy stuff, maybe allude to the playoff matchups if they are set in stone, have a look at some other bits and pieces and circulating through the NBA. But as always, thank you for listening to this episode. Muchly appreciated. Till next time, peace. Peace.